0: There is no story quite like this. We were enemies of God. We were dead in our sins, living for ourselves. When God, in His great mercy, made us alive in and through Christ Jesus. Now there are two parts to this. The first is that Luke 16 part where we talk about being dead in our sins. The Ephesians 2 part that we're going to get to a little later is the alive in Christ portion of this message. And so I invite you to turn with me to Luke 16, where Jesus tells a parable. And some scholars have even debated whether or not this is an actual parable. Because it is, if it is a parable, it's the only parable where Jesus actually gives a name to one of the characters. His name is Lazarus. Not to be confused with the Lazarus that we read about in John chapter 11. The brother of Mary and Martha, whom Jesus would raise from the dead after spending four days in a tomb. Now this is a different Lazarus. But in Luke 16 verse 19, we read about his story along with a rich man. Luke sixteen nineteen. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Well, ain't that a happy story, church? Right? No. No. In the story, we have this rich man. We don't know his name. Jesus didn't think that was important, that that character be named. But we know that he's wealthy, not just because Luke tells us that he's wealthy, but because of some of the facts going along here. He lives in a house that has a gate. He wears clothing of purple, the most expensive thread you could buy in antiquity. And he also has these undergarments of fine linen. So the man is dressed to the nines, we might have said, once upon a time. I don't know how you say in this day and age that someone's dressed well, but the man is dressed well. He has the best clothing that money can buy. And so he lives behind this gate... And even today, if someone lives in a gated community where you have to have some kind of passcode to get in or where there's a guard attending the gate, that's typically not a working class neighborhood, is it, church? And so we know that the man is wealthy. It's not up for debate. And then here Lazarus sits... Seeing the man going and coming back and forth from that gate. Sitting there in agony to the point that dogs would come and lick his sores. Just wishing he could have something from the rich man's table. Just the leftovers, the crumbs... But the man doesn't think enough of Lazarus to even have a servant take him some food outside. And so when the man is in torment, he is begging, oh, Father Abraham, just send Lazarus to dip that finger in water and put it on my tongue for just just to momentarily relieve a bit of my torment my anguish and so even in this situation he still sees Lazarus in a servant role even in torment he looks down his nose at Lazarus have him come and serve me, when he, with all of his wealth, was completely unwilling to ever serve Lazarus the beggar. And so, there are two things about this. One, he he cares about his brothers, and so the word repent is there. He knows that he never repented, and he knows that his brothers never have and so that is what he desires for them to save them from the anguish that he is currently experiencing. But church family, it goes beyond that. All of us have heard the message to repent. But how we treat other people Matters to God. Now, this isn't a message about salvation by works. No, the Ephesians passage is going to clear that up in no uncertain terms. That our salvation is a gift of God, plain and simple. But church family, let's never forget that if saved people act like saved people, then people like Lazarus are going to experience some degree of love and some degree of care. It's when Christians overlook someone who is in such obvious need that we have to wonder where their heart is what kind of salvation experience did they truly have if they can be so callous to overlook the needs of someone who is in such obvious, desperate, a desperate state? Saved people need to act like saved people. When. Children of God overlook someone like a Lazarus. We're not doing the Lord's work, church. We're doing the devil's work. Now the title of this message is Old Scratch, Part 3. And for those who are just joining us this morning, haven't been here the last couple of weeks and not familiar with the term Old Scratch, It is a term that was used some time ago to describe the devil. Now the origin of that word, well that gets complicated and it comes from Norse and German and those kinds of things. But Old Scratch is... A name for the devil. That's what we've been talking about in these weeks that lead up to, to Easter. This is the final week we're going to talk about this. But that if we believe what <clears throat> excuse me, Peter tells us, that the devil is real and that he is prowling around like a lion looking to devour his prey... And if we believe as I do that the devil's not concerned with the lost of this world the way we should be. The way brother Tom is when he so passionately talks about his world Bible school students. And I'm right there with him because I had one in upstate New York that I thought was ready to be baptized. And now he's not continuing with the work. And that's the work of the devil, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. I've had three or four students that, man, they just seemed on fire working through the curriculum. And then all of a sudden, everything just grinds to a halt. And so then I send them notes of encouragement. And they say, oh, I haven't forgotten. I'll I'll get back to it. But none of them really have yet. Because they were hearing the gospel message. And a couple of them that were already baptized believers were at that point where they were growing close to God once again. That's church family, is when the devil gets involved. In the gospels, it's when Jesus is about to begin his ministry. That we know that he is tempted and tested by Satan. And so, when we overlook the needs of others, we're not doing the Lord's work. We're doing Satan's work. And church family, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be aware of that. Now, The good news comes, though, in Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a reference to Satan. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace Now, church, I read a story recently about a guy who was visiting a foreign country. It was an English-speaking country. It was South Africa. And he had an acquaintance there. His first time to visit the country, he was in Cape Town, a very large city. And so he phoned his friend and said, I'm now in town, as I told you I would be. Uh, When can we get together? And he said, well, rather than meeting somewhere, he said, my wife and I would just like to have you in our home. So she's going to prepare a meal. So they made arrangements. So the next night, uh, he was going to take his rental car and was going to drive to their home in that part of the city. And the problem, he said, was is that by the time I left where I was staying, he said it was night. And furthermore, it was raining. Anyone who's ever driven a car at night in the rain knows how hard it can be to see. How much the rain diminishes your vision at night. And he says he got on the right highway. He used the term expressway. Gets on the right expressway... And his friend told him, now you're going to be on this, on this highway for 10 miles before you need to start looking for the, the exit uh, that will take you to, to, to my, my house. And so, so he's on the road with every bit of confidence that all is well. But then it's more than 10 miles, it's 12 miles, it's 13 miles, it's 15 miles. And now he's saying, okay, I've, I never did see that sign, I missed the exit. So he gets off, goes to a service station that still happens to be open at night and asks them. And boy, they have no idea where he's talking about. He's realized after he looks at a map, this is back in the days before GPS, right? Because if if he had GPS, there'd be no story. Uh, And so it's it's back in the days where he unfolds the the Rand McNally map of of Cape Town, South Africa. And then figures out that he got on the right highway, but he went in the complete opposite direction. And he said that all ended well. He made their house and had a very late supper with his friend and his wife. But he uses that example to show how we, as children of God, we can be in sin for so long that we no longer think anything about it. We can be making choices and doing something that we should not be doing for so long Then it gets comfortable. As comfortable as going 10 miles in the wrong direction. And what that sin is, well, it's it's different for so many of us. But whether that sin is to lie. I don't know about you, I've known people that lied so much, you got to the point where you, you didn't think they ever knew what the truth was. For some, it's to gossip. They love to talk about other people. For some, it might be sexual immorality. For some, it might be dishonesty. They're going to get ahead at any cost. They will steal people blind. Even their own family. So whatever that sin might look like, church... We can be people who just get comfortable in sin. It might be simply overlooking the needs of the people like Lazarus in our own world. And so, what Paul tells us here in Ephesians 2 is, man, look at what we once were We once were dead, but now we're alive. But it's absolutely nothing that we do. It is a grace that comes from God. It is His gift to us. If we only accept that grace, repent of our sins, and are baptized... In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we are made alive. In these weeks that lead up to Easter, it's important for us to know what the people of God are up against. But it's also important for us to remember the triumph that Jesus makes. There is no question that the devil, that Old Scratch, is God's enemy. That he is God's adversary. But let's not ever make the mistake of thinking he is God's equal. Because church family, that has never, is not, and will never be the case That we serve a God who is alive. We have a Savior who conquered death. And church family isn't that good news. And so we need to be people though who live like people who are alive in Christ. Not people who live for ourselves. That was the problem with the rich man. That's the problem that Paul describes as he opens the second part, the second chapter of Ephesians. As for you, you were, past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. When you followed the ways of the devil, maybe not even realizing it, but it's the truth, church, that if we're not doing the Lord's work, we're doing the devil's. And so we make conscious decisions every day to do the work of the Lord. We are living demonstrations of the grace of God. Wrote this down last night. Once hopelessly lost in our sinful cravings, now we are free to live the life for which we were called. Been doing a lot of work lately, counseling people who are in addiction recovery. And for people, if you've ever known someone who was an alcoholic or an addict, that they feel trapped by their addiction. They can easily feel like a slave to what they are addicted to. And a gentleman that I'm working with right now, I'll meet with him at 9 o'clock in the morning. And this is a session that he has been dreading, because it's the part in the program where he has to put in writing an inventory of his pain, an inventory of all that he's experienced. And that's something you learn about addicts, is that they don't just wake up one day and say, "Hey, I'm going to be a drug addict." No, they try something once upon a time to mask some pain that they're dealing with. And so drugs or alcohol become an escape from something that they're running from. And so they get clean and they start in the program and now he's at the point where he has to give a name to everything now I'm not going to name his name he's not from here anyway but that doesn't matter but I'd appreciate it if you all would pray for this guy God knows who he is because I met with him Friday afternoon and we spent some time in prayer and he's dreading tomorrow morning and I told him you have already told me all this he said yeah but now I've got to put it in writing he said that's going to be harder But church we are all bound by something. Even if we're not addicts or alcoholics we are slaves to our sin until we are made alive in Christ. And church let's not ever forget what Jesus did for us he took the chains off of us. That He set us free from the burden of that sin. And so as Paul writes here and uses all these words that say past tense, you were dead. He says now you're alive. But church family, the way for us to be an extension of God's grace The way for us to show the world that we are alive is that we have to care about other people. We have to be people who care about other people. Even people that are not like us. Even people that don't like us. Even people that's not easy for us to like. But God wants us to care about other people. And that, church family, is part of the good works that He planned in advance for us to do. Because what good is it for God just to have a bunch of children who are saved unless they are doing His work? So let's be people, it starts right now, who make a concerted effort to be kind to others, to be loving, to be the kind of people that do things for others that have them puzzled, have them wondering, why would they do that for me? And at some point someone may even ask you, why would you do this for me? And that church family is a golden moment where you get to say it's not me it's Jesus Christ who lives in me. And in so doing you have an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, you're not with, if you are with us this morning if you're not with us this morning Well, we love you anyway. You can watch it later on YouTube. But if you are with us this morning and you have not yet made the decision to give your life to Christ, we offer an invitation to allow you to set that straight and change your life forever. If you are here this morning And you've got something in your life you've been dealing with. Something that you would like a body of believers to be praying with you about. Then the invitation is offered for that reason as well. Let's stand and sing.